It's now 7.03, God willing. I'll be done by 8.03. It's shorter. Did you notice that? You already checked that out and said to yourself, oh good. Less scripture. And then listen to yourself. Okay, we're in the fourth and last week of our Ecclesiastes kind of low flyby uh, of ideas that are uncomfortable for us to uh, meditate on, but uh, needful. And uh, Solomon brings it to a close tonight in chapters uh, 10 through 12. Now what he's, he's done of the last two, two and a half chapters has been throw various um, guiding, I would say guiding thoughts to help you get used to um, uh, the, uh, the futility you have to learn or at least the posture that a Christian needs to be taking in it. Um, and, and certain things, and as I said at the beginning of the book, you don't want to have Ecclesiastes in a special category of books that you don't have to believe. Okay? It is scripture. You have to believe it. Now, you have to believe what it says, not what it doesn't say, but you still have to believe it. And uh, as, a, as someone who's trying to follow God. Um, so you want to say, these instructions, do I have what it takes? Do I have the underpinning idea that will carry me along there. Let's look at chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off an evil odor, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him toward the right, but a fool's heart toward the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he's a fool. Yet, you know, basically th three proverbial assessments of wisdom itself. One, the advantage goes to folly in that just a little bit of stupid can undo a wise, wise life. Um, you can probably think of many notable characters on the political scene or, or uh, uh, Hollywood or whatever who seem to be doing just fine, got drunk and cussed out a cop, you know. Um, Mel Gibson's career is history because of at least one instant of futility, of folly. So the advantage goes to folly. See, so this is a very strong stuff. And it's opposite, in the second verse, it's opposite, and I know that a lot of Christian politically-minded people like the comic value of verse 2. Um, inclines to the right, the fool's heart to the left. Probably had less to do with Democrats and Republicans and more to do with probably the, the, the I don't know, any of you left-handed people here? Kelly. Oh. The only one. Oh, you too. And, and Mark. Okay, so we see a pattern? You see a pattern? Well, you know the word gauche in French means left and sinister means left. Um, and people never wave with their left hand in more barbaric cultures because it would be impure to do so. Uh, so it probably had more to do with, with that, but primarily, it's not so much the left and right, but primarily it's the opposite. One inclines one way, one inclines the other. And the advantage to wisdom comes in, uh, you might say, yeah, the power of folly is greater than the power of wisdom. It can, it can undo a whole life, but um, wisdom carries with it um, the power of automatic uh, reputation. The fool walks on the road and every, he's declaring, to, he can't even walk down a street putting one foot in front of the other. He's, he's a fool. And you could see by their life, people that are foolish, uh, I've been reading Oscar Wilde's Picture of Dorian Gray. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's an unsettling book. Uh, but you see people living out an awful life and the destruction that it... That it uh, um, and, and how obvious it is to people. When people start, the man is evil, let's just put it that way, and he 
people start avoiding him in the clubs and walking out of rooms when he walks in. People know. So the advantage, the advantage to wisdom is not its strength, but it's, but it's um, what it says about you. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for deference will make amends for great offenses. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on foot like slaves. Now you could go to that passage uh, as some sort of... Uh, political science passage, the concern about upending the hierarchy, etc. But the advice is deference to the ruler when you make a mistake, when you fail. Or deference to the ruler when the ruler is a failure. And if you don't have deference in you, um, something's wrong. Because you can't make amends the way you ought to by showing, even to a foolish ruler, um, folly set in high places. Most excellent Felix, said St. Paul to the Roman proconsul. Most excellent Felix. You know, he, if you read his speech before Agrippa and, and Festus, you see a, a, great, uh, um, a great deference. You see it with Daniel. You see, deferential behavior making up for things. It says in the Proverbs that a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know that. But the problem is, it's something I've been thinking of recently. As we were chatting with uh, Heather yesterday or something about, something along these lines. One of the benefits of the doctrine of futility is it prepares you for virtue. Now, you say, well, what? How does it prepare you for virtue? Um, when you think, and some of you do, when you think you can fix it, be it the political realm or the circumstance you're in, some of you are, well, my father called them sea lawyers, uh, people that always wanted to explain, and if only I explained it more, people would understand, they would get the right, if only, and you go through life not showing grace, not showing patience, not showing kindness, not showing self-control, number of the virtues the Christian has, because you believe, oh, I doesn't need the virtue, it needs me fixing it. You know, I'm far more ready to correct somebody than I am to be patient with them. But when you believe the whole world's going to Hades in a handbasket, you're going to get hit by an asteroid soon, or you're going to be dead soon, so are they. And you've been told, who can make straight what God has made crooked? You suddenly realize, I've got to fall back on something else. They're not going to show up on time. So I'm going to have to be patient. But no, give me one more chance to get them to show up on time. I didn't mean to look at the leeches. I, I was just glancing over here, just glancing. Yeah, yeah. What was that? <laughs> patience. Patience. It's all futile. What happens is evil and folly either relate as violations of God or they're violations of you and your world. All right? So when it's you and your world, you become the hairy thunderer and you want to be the corrector of, of, of people, be it theologically or, or morally or, or uh, politically, whatever you think you need to fix, because you're running your world. But we're living in a futile world of the Lord's making because of sin. He has hung this shadow of death over us, and um, we have, as believers, hope. But we're still living in that world where death faces us. And... If you pick up this notion, if you pick up the notion, you begin to realize, I have got to have God's answer to the evil of man. God's answer to the folly in front of me. And I have to accept that stuff happens, bad things, things break. You ever explain that to yourself when you had little kids? 
and they break something valuable and you have to talk yourself into the doctrine of utility, you know, because it was precious to you and it was a, you know, something your great grandma gave you and now it's looking like a pile of uh, dust, because that's what it is. And you have to remind yourself or your spouse has to remind you, look, it's only a thing. And you got to go pray about it, and you got don't want to choke the life out of your kid. <laughs> and uh, see ya. Watch where you're going. Boink. <laughs> Speaking of futility, she's right over there. Um, there's the distinction of what you find trying your patience, trying your kindness. I have this verse stuck in my head of recent months out of Luke 6 where he's of speaking of God. He says, you will be the sons of God for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. He knows they're ungrateful and he knows they're selfish and he is the judge and yet he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. If you struggle with your virtues, the things that are, the buttons that are getting pushed in you, you're being asked to defer to a foolish kid. What do you mean? My boss is an idiot. Why would I have to? Uh, uh, uh? It's all futility. This is what's going to be. And everything, next passage, verse 8, he who digs a pit will fall into it. You've heard me quote this too many times. Life, even something normal, even just going to work. Those of you who think you can fix the world, knock it off. No matter what you do, there's a hole for you to fall into. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Whatever you do. Have you noticed how many commercials are trying to sell the perfect, completely safe world to the mothers of this nation? Yet everything is going to be baby-proofed. There's not going to, all trees are going to have their limbs lopped off at least to 50 feet, you know, so that little Johnny can't get a grip on the lowest branch, and up they go. And here's Elijah climbing up on the chair. He's going to swan dive, probably backwards off of that. It's just encouraging Sonia in the, in the moment. Hey, very good. He's listening. Unlike many here. <laughs> There's going to be something, a circumstance, a negativity, a flaw, a killing flaw sometimes that, that you will probably try to blame yourself. If something awful happened, you encouraged your kids to drive to Seattle and someone was hurt awfully in an accident and oh my gosh, I encouraged. It was a road. People drive on them in cars. And someone has to remind you that you could slip walking down your front steps. But all of the world is that way. All of governing agents, all of your bosses, the Peter principle is true. People get promoted to the level of incompetence, and you're always below them. If the iron is blunt and one does not wet the edge, he must put forth more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So you, you can apply something, you, you can improve the circumstance, but don't think you've removed your eventual death. And everyone you know and love's eventual death. They're all going to die. Maybe not right in front of you and maybe not tragically. So you, you do things to make life a little bit simpler. But, we would say, verse 11, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage in the charmer. So you're about ready to, I'm going to, after the next few logs, I'm going to wet the edge, and then it breaks off and cuts your leg open. I was going to wet the edge, just not in time. I was going to charm the serpent, just not in time. Look, no matter what you do in life, it's got your number. It's going to land on you. And you, when you realize the flaw of the universe, some of it folly, some of it just the bentness of nature, and some of it evil, Accepting that puts you in the right position to start collecting virtues. Like grace. Grace applies itself to the wickedness of others. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the flips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is wicked madness. 
when they start talking, you can say, I see it coming. By the time they're done, wicked madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, so that he does not know the way to the city. Fools, uh, by the way, don't generally know. Okay? They don't stand around going, you know, I'm a complete idiot. They think they're right. Somebody was, Rachel was telling me about a girl she talked to who was going on very aggressively with her about, um, you know, everyone's right. You know, if you believe in heaven, you go to heaven. If you believe in nirvana, you go to nirvana. If you believe in reincarnation, you'll be reincarnated. Everyone's right. Pause for effect and for utter madness. And everybody's wrong. Oh, that's deep. How many beers did it take you to learn that? <laughs> or, you know, I was dropped on my head by a Marine when I was young. That explains some things, but you're really stupid. They don't know. They think they're saying profundities. And they keep talking. And, the, and, and it, like any lie, I don't know if you've ever lied. Don't anymore, if you have. Uh, but then you have to r write a more pronounced lie to cover the lie. And pretty soon you had to rewrite Western Civ in order to cover your lie. It gets worse as more you talk. They don't know. When they talk, they're entertaining themselves, but it wearies us. They get weary living their folly. That's when you'll finally get to talk to them. Because the toil of a fool wearies him. He does not even know his way home. They start to, they begin to bear the brunt only of the life they live. Because as they talk this nonsense, you begin to, if you read the existentialists, they, or you know, any of the philosophers who we have some record of how their lives turned out, not a pretty sight. You know, when they were in the salon or in the reading room and ch people were chatting and smoking cigarettes like this. They, uh, they said things that were really pronounced. So, oh, you ever see the Hitchcock movie, The Rope? Uh, it was done in two shots. They only, they only had to, the, the film didn't last long enough to do it in one. They had to switch roles of film. You know, one scene, and it was a story of a couple guys who were going to murder one of their good friends to prove it could be done, that they were supermen. That they, because their teacher, played by... Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart had taught them that nonsense in college and they were living it out. And then the professor finds out that they've killed this young man, hid his body in a trunk, and then had the victim's parents over for tea to serve them tea while his body was in the trunk. And he finally realizes where his words went, where his thoughts led them. Of course, they didn't get away with it. They don't know the way to the city. They, people have all sorts of ideas, and wicked madness is the end result. And you may be weary listening to them, but they get weary living it. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of freemen, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Now, you... When you read stuff, you say, we don't have a king, let alone little young princes, and we don't have, these are not warnings politically for you, though they are applied. What's, what's going on here? Well, what's a child like? You know, if, if we let Elijah roam free over a buffet of Skittles, M&Ms, Coke, and what's something mother wants you to eat? Not those things. Broccoli. You know where the kid's going to be. Now why is the kid going to be hip deep in the Skittles? Because when you're immature, your immediate sense is what feels good, take it as immediately as opportunity gives it. She's over here. Um, so immaturity takes opportunity pleasures. 
that is something as we've looked at it over the course of four weeks uh, we talked ab about how pleasure um, is in itself only pleasing and it needs to be to be joy to be truly enjoyed needs to be arranged by God it needs to be lived in uh, first I have to please God in order to have the wisdom knowledge and joy that is possible to have in his creation but the immature mind just sees the pile of skittles or the keg of beer and he and his young friends will start partying first thing in the morning because he's rich he's the king and he can the other side of it is well, there's a proper time we learned that earlier in the book God has made everything beautiful in its time for everything there's a time and for every matter under heaven In verse 18, though sloth, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Is the immature there? Is there's the oppression of the omission, the should be the opportunity of omission. So you not only sees, not only does a small child seize the skittles, if they can, if mom's not looking, and if mom's not there you know perfectly well what they'll do. The most pleasure, and they will eat themselves sick. Not out of some perfidy, but just out of, it's a bit's pleasure. And they will also do, and you see teenagers dealing with this little disease, sleep till noon. I won't let my gaze rest on anybody in particular, Becky. Oh, did I mention someone's name? It slipped out. Well, sloth, indolence. Now, why are, why are people slothful? Why are they indolent? Because work, responsibilities, things you got to need to do, um, are discomforts. They are something you pay, not something you necessarily always enjoy. That's why they pay you to do it. You don't just clasp your pudgy hands together and race off to work going, oh, please, you don't have to pay me. I'm enjoying this so much. They say, we know you're not enjoying it to one degree or another, so we're going to pay you. You know that you have to take those discomforts on as a mature mind so that the roof doesn't sink in and, and the house doesn't leak. Everything, the mature mind, this next verse, and I'm not saying that these are connected this way. I, this section of the book seems to be, have a lot of proverbial, and, and when you go through Proverbs and you know that Solomon, it says, he arranged them. Okay? And the arrangement of the Proverbs, you don't always see why it's next to the proverb. That It's like, why in the world? I once, uh, a few years ago, rearranged, and this may be blasphemy, and I apologize, but I rearranged Proverbs. So I took the whole book apart and rearranged it by subject. Um, now that may, that's presumptuous, and I realize that. But it was helpful to one degree or another. But it's sometimes after you know looking at certain passages of scripture for a while, you begin to see connections. And maybe I'm, maybe these connections are not what Solomon made. But I, I'm just putting the distinction between the mature and the immature. The mature mind looks at the things in life, both the discomforts and the comforts, the pains and the pleasures, and builds life accordingly. Because bread is for laughter, and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. That's one verse that nobody thinks is in the Bible because I've quoted it a lot. And they say, what? The Bible doesn't say that. Why, yes, it does. It's my life verse. Bread, wine, and loot. Well, it's saying something manifestly true. It's not saying money answers everything like, but, but the salvation of my soul, you mean I could buy it? No, he's not saying that. He is saying that you look at the building blocks of life and you say, what's bread for? Bread is for laughter. What's wine for? It gladdens life. Money, on the other hand, it buys, you know, it, it, is a, it is a medium of exchange, if you want to talk. I can make it represent everything from a chair to a new tree in the yard to a Twinkie to a hamburger to paying a bill. I can do anything with it. It's a medium of exchange. It answers all questions. Bread doesn't. It's amazing what I can do with, you know, if I'm going around town like a Frenchman with a loaf of bread, I can't really 
of there being interesting to people, and only if I met hungry people, hungry for bread in particular, would that, would that work. But with money, I am welcome everywhere. It's manifestly true. But behind that, I mean, that's just right on the surface of the proverb. Underneath the surface, you ought to know that. To be mature, you don't mismeasure what you've been given in life. You don't mismeasure like the little kid in the Skittles. You take the... Ever play with Legos? All the guys here have played with Legos, some of the girls. There are certain blocks that are the standard blocks. And then there are those specialty blocks. You don't want to have to build something standard out of all the specialty blocks. You'd like to have a whole bunch of those regular blocks so you could put the wall up really fast. You want the right block. If you're looking for something in particular, you're looking for the right block. That's what you want. You want the right piece. I um, had to invent, uh, we bought some uh, uh, heat racks uh, from Ikea down in Portland. And uh, metal racks that Leslie really likes for uh, serving hot things on. No place to put them. So we had to invent something. So we went to, I think, Tri-State. Ended up buying door stops door stops because there wasn't anything just right screwed them into the side of the thing and hung the racks on it looks like it was invented for that I was Leonardo but it wasn't the right thing it wasn't quite the right thing and I did have to adjust how the racks sit to fit them all on there it wouldn't it be great if you walked in and it said Ikea peg for their heat racks and you could just buy it and you knew that it was just the right for four racks five racks six racks you need to know what life is built of, and you need to know how to measure it. You need to have it measured. Uh, phrase I've used uh, is a second ring of the circus here. He's eating something out of my yard. Mm. Our children never did that. Where did Oliver go? You could add a, a, a three-ring circus. Yeah. You have to know what the blocks are. You have to know what accurately what they are. You have to know ordinately what they are. Money answers everything. Wine is for laughter. Oh, no, excuse me. Bread's for laughter. Wine gladdens life. Other things do other things. Chairs are comfy. What's the ordinate value of the things in your life? Even in your thought. Now, I, I bolded that. There's not a whole lot of bold. There's no red on this. There's only one red thing on the other side of the... I was, I was very sparing in my use of red. Even in your thought. Why, why is that bold? Do not curse the king. Nor in your bedchamber curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. It'll get out. So what do you got to do? Well, one of the things that happens when people curse the king, or curse the rich, means that they don't like the way the world is. They're, they're probably the oppressed, the have-nots. And instead of going, this is the way it is, show deference to the king, they may in public show deference to the king. It is a monarchy back in Solomon's day. Or maybe have to quietly step out of the way while the rich drive by in their chariots. But to yourself, to your wife, in your workshop as you made another mud brick or whatever you did back in antiquity you cursed the king what does that mean oh Solomon wants to warn you that someone may find out someone will hear watch it so even in your thought don't do it so what do you got to do you got to believe it's not something you should be thinking like this is a book about realigning how you think Because we could pretend, 
and, and try to be rebellious privately. But you don't want that, because that eventually comes out. It will, you will be revealed. The, the picture of Dorian Gray, in case you don't know the story, a young, beautiful man, very beautiful, meets an artist in England, and the artist is smitten with him. I mean, just, just falls for him and is inspired by him and draws him and paints him, has him sit for him, and finally does this wonderful portrait, his best work ever. And another young man comes in and is a very much a cynic, much an Oscar Wilde character, and he's just practicing this cynical view of the pursuit of pleasure and, and the worst thing is to grow old and die and wouldn't it be great if you were always like this? And it, the young man is horribly um, frightened by death and, and he wishes, he prays that the picture would age and he wouldn't. Well, guess what? It happens. But the picture also registers all of his evil. So he starts to realize he will never change. He will never grow old. He will never look like the drunken, murdering rapist he is. The picture will. Something is going to speak of it. It's going to show. That, that doesn't happen, by the way. That, that's a fantasy. Um, so even if a winged creature doesn't tell, even if some other bird does not take it to the king, even if they don't find out because it, it registers with you. Your life, just like with the fool, your life declares what you are. Because you won't be able to find your way home in the evening. Everyone on your road will know that you're a fool. If you're a deferential person, if you're thinking of the world the way you ought to think of it, if you're seeing the flaws in the world, not because kings are great, because sometimes folly is in high places. Sometimes slaves are promoted and, and, the, and the worthy are walking around on foot. You've got to accept it, because otherwise it's going to register. Chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. One of the most uh, what passages, it doesn't, that doesn't make any sense at all. And I know this is, and you're not going to go away going, yeah, Evan finally made sense out of that. No, I'm not going to make sense out of it. You have to look at it in terms of the immediate context. Look what he said. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what evil may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know how the spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed. And at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. The basic theme of that whole paragraph is bracket your action. You don't know. Life is not an immediate cause and effect relationship. Some things I know that if I reach down and pick something up, it will be picked up. But in those things where we have to think about or whether or not something is going to come to pass, sowing seed, we're trying to figure out, you know the witch doctors who on the Weather Channel? Because that's all they are. They're wrong 100% of the time. And Leslie pointed something out to me the other morning. They, they show on the Weather Channel on TV, they send the first thing, hi, 82. And then they had the map of Moscow, 85. And then they had, um, what was the other one? high of 83. When the three different portions of the same newscast of the weather for Moscow, they predicted three different temperatures. And as you said, well, they're just um, hedging their bets. We know that, that we don't know how to predict what's going on in the weather. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, remember the fool? His wearying us with his words, but no man knows what is to be. And what will, it can tell us what will happen afterwards. 
So we've got to live in a certain way. So cast your bread upon the waters. Some people think that this is a just sort of a, um, not a metaphor, a, a, a titular expression that follows in, I'm doing different things um, and I will get a return. But I'm doing a wide array of things. Some people think it's referring to Solomon's uh, trade voyages because the Septuagint says, send your bread upon the waters instead of cast. And he sent out these uh, uh, trading ships for three-year journeys, you know, around Africa and out to the Near East, uh, bringing back all sorts of things for his kingdom. And so he may have been referring to something that more the ocean-going commerce. But he's basically saying, you don't, you want to have mutual funds, is what he's saying. You're not investing in, I'm just going to buy IBM. Why don't you do this and that? Buy some gold, too. Because you don't know which is going to prosper. You sow your seed in the morning and you sow it in the evening. You don't synchronize with life. That's what's one of the wonderful qualities about you knowing you're not just part of a machine is you're not, you're not like a gear in it. You're not just ticking off life according to what all the gears fitting into you mean and what you fit into it. You're not causing necessary things to happen. And since life is not synchronous to you, it's, um, do you ever notice um, you have eyes, correct? Two of them, some of you, three. Um, two eyes placed like predators in the fronts of our heads. Not like prey in the sides of our heads. But the nice thing about, the, what, the difficult thing about eyes in the front of your head, and I don't know what your peripheral vision is, how far back, David, does it usually go? I can see what figures sort of right about there. I'm dreaming, okay, but so I've got I've got maybe a hundred and forty degrees, something like that. Is it, is it about 130 is normal. So I'm really excellent. I'm really something. <laughs> um, but get <laughs> the world goes 360 degrees around me. I'm not in sync. Why didn't God design like a band of eye? You know, it goes all the way around your head. Would Your brain would float on the top of it like a soft-boiled egg. And you'd have an eye. It would just sort of spin around. And you could see everything. We are not synchronized to life. We do, we're doing our best. But we have, to, we have to recognize in that lack of synchronicity that you are, you might say, having to bracket what you do for the good return. And realize that's what you have to do. Just like you have to show deference sometimes to foolish kings. Just like you have to be patient with people who try it. Be gracious and kind to people who don't deserve it. You're making do with a broken system. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. For if a man lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, <coughs> and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your mind and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They're passing. Remember, what he's thinking about vanity, futility. It's not that it doesn't feel good, but that it goes past you. You can't retain it. You can't retain a single day. This moment, no matter how pleasant the evening light is and the temperature and the food was, thank you very much, um, it's gone. When you wake up tomorrow, this is not even something called history. It didn't even rise to the level of history. You might think on it, you might think on the scriptures a bit, but all of this pleasantness, it's just now, just right now. Your comfort, and especially you young people, because you don't have trouble getting out of the chairs. Now the rest of us, we will have a little more trouble. But remember that God will bring you into judgment for all of these things. So, what value 
what measure do you put to your heart and your sight? We're, uh, Leslie and Tammy and I were coming back. I think Rachel was with us too about uh, from late, Rachel's graduation when we were CNA classmen. And we were talking about um, food and the taste of food. She would, Tammy was, I don't mean to rat her out, but was having an Arby's. And uh, she commented she had grown up with Arby's. And maybe her willingness to eat the stuff was due to her nostalgia growing up eating Arby's. So we talked a bit about how much of food is caused by the opinion you hold regarding it. We don't really know, but we know it's affected. You know that the beautifully laid table and the anticipation of the great event and, and the smell and the association that the smell gives you, all sorts of things come into your life. You have got consequently got to measure things that are going by you. That, that, that these things, that as you touch them, are being touched by your opinion as well as by just the raw animal sensation. You know, on a day when you're just having a great day and you got a headache, it's not as bad, maybe, as when you're kind of down and hasn't gone well and you get the same headache. And maybe in the absolute sense, it's the exact same headache, but one hurts worse than the other. How we view, how we view the world, how you view what you see, all has to be held up as, as oh no, it's my task. I'm supposed to enjoy it. Remember, that's what it said in the book. I'm supposed to find a path to enjoyment. But I also have to live under the warnings. Not only that I would only not get to the good without God, but on the downside, I will be judged by, good for the bad, by God for the bad. God will bring you into judgment. So put away vexation. With this shadow of the judgment of God is not just, well, it's there. You're told to remember it's there. But if you've ever met somebody who's like a nihilist uh, who has removed God and judgment at all from the picture and they deny there's any morality, watch them live. It's the weariness of their life after a few years. Usually they're suicidal. The presence of the judgment of God is what gives you the joy of good. It's a threat to evil, right? God's judgment is a threat to evil, but his judgment also, he could look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, entered of the joy of your master. Could be a good judgment, but mostly we think God will bring you into judgment, and so it is, it is a warning. The presence of the warning is there because without warnings of a judgment, there is no ethic. And without ethic, none of the good that we, when we re rejoice in doing good for each other, is good. It's no different than evil if there is no judgment. It's just your opinion about what you want to do. That's all. That's all moral thoughts are, is opinions, if there is no God and is no judgment. Chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Now, this next section, I'm not going to break it apart because it's about aging. It's just poetry. It's just wonderful poetry. It is one of the best descriptions of getting old ever written. There was a song called This Old House. Oh, I remember that song, but I don't remember the lyric. I remember hearing it, but I'm trying to, I, I couldn't put the lyrics to it at all. Um, it's another shadow. Because we're not just shadowed by the judgment of God and shadowed, as Solomon has suggested, or, or driven back to the present by the shadow of death. There's the shadow of the judgment after death. There's the shadow of death itself, the end of your life. And there's the shadow, you might say, a, a pre-shadow of your old age. And some of you can't imagine being older. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I thought I was going to be dead by the time I was 40. Not from any wild living, but just I thought it would give up the ghost, you know. And, and uh, 
But he says, remember the Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Not the evil days of being dead, but the evil days of getting there. And the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the young strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, think teeth, and those that look through the windows are dimmed. Use that at your business, David. And the doors of the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the voice of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fa fails. Because man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. It's brilliant. The, the keepers of the house tremble. You, well, I, I like the, the ear, the hearing one. Because, boy, in the middle of the night, dead sleep, you hear one little thing and you're up. And then someone speaks to you across the table. And you go, what? He's like, what? Why, am I, why is getting old selectively deaf? And I'm sure that in the minds of the ancient the silver cord, the golden bowl. Maybe they were all standard symbols in the poetry of their age, of life. But uh, that's not so much as, a, as the instruction. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. That just described the evil days. You will not be... I, I like seeing the old, you know, the old guys running. Because I know I just have to wait a few more years and they'll be walking with a cane. They won't run anymore. They're trying to stave off. This is fine to do. If you like running, go ahead. Just don't ask me to run. But remember the Creator in the days of your youth. What? Well, the benefit to all of this, because on both this and the preceding paragraph, it was, O young man, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. If, if the young people set up their life, their perspective on the world, not like Solomon after he had tried everything, but someone who has taken Solomon at his word and applies it and says, okay, I am now a futilitarian. I'm a Christian futilitarian. I trust God. I hope in him. And I am responsibility. my responsibility is for the now. I'm going to try to be as wise as possible at his gift. I'm trying to be as joyful as possible at his gift because my way of being old will not be this massive, tragic disappointment. Remember, the person who dies without having enjoyed his life, you don't want to be there. Some things are going to be taken from you as you age. Mobility, sight, hearing, all sorts of things. Your health. start now. Develop the kind of clarity of mind and clarity of how you live the purpose uh, of a Christian life um, before you get old. Don't become wise about life when you there's nothing else you can do. It will affect it. Besides being wise, and this is sort of a wrap up. You say good thing because it's about eight minutes till. I have 11 whole minutes. Remember, we started at 3 after. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find pleasing words, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. In case you had any doubt about the claim of the book, about whether it's true or not, uprightly he wrote words of truth. But look at what he's... Besides being wise, there's more things you could do with wisdom. You know how he says in Proverbs 9, the wise man is wise for himself. 
and the fool, he alone will bear it. Your wisdom is going to often be rejected by others, unrecognized by others. There's other things you can contribute. Because besides being wise, Solomon taught the people knowledge. And in doing so, weighing and arranging and studying Proverbs. Not the book of Proverbs, I mean, it's a good place to start. But value, putting value, consideration, arranging them, how they fit, do they fit. Wisdom has a, has a prospect in it, an activity, a life, that if you find your way there, if you lack it and you go to start going towards wisdom, if you start to pick up the general uh, God's view of the cosmos, these are, are things that enrich the wise life. Teaching others, valuing, considering, arranging, and also with pleasing words. You're not just someone who's going to bark out truth at people. Because life is too short. Remember, enjoy this. Things are for laughter. Things are for... What was the thing wine was for? Gladden's life. Why did God give you the understanding of beauty? Why did he make you hear, see, consider certain words, certain cadences, certain colors, certain tones? Your God gave you that. Richly to enjoy, remember, out of Timothy. God gave it to you richly to enjoy. He sought to find pleasing words. You don't want to, there's been some very many pastors or preachers in the world who have, who have opted to be more witty and urbane than they have been right. The beauty of the thought does not, the beauty of the thought does not replace truth or the uprightness of it. But you want to take what's true and, and, and find the joy in its expression. It's pleasing words. The sayings of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings which are given by one shepherd. <clears throat> goads, you know what they, Saul, Saul, it hurts you to kick against the goads. Um, it's what you drive animals with when you're tr trying to make them go places they don't want to go. And the wise, that's what their sayings do for you. They give you uh, inertia. They push you on. They prompt you. And the more I narrow that down to one shepherd, I, the benefit there, it's like I become solidly fixed. It becomes a, uh, a stabilization that I need uh, to have in life. I'm not suggesting that you find one rabbi, one, you know, you know I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. And, and I, you know, wh whether or not I should be is not, not so much the question, but you, you can, and maybe you have somebody that you uh, see that way, uh, that you read a lot of, or you uh, have really enjoyed the way they think. You probably notice that, that the wisdom of one shepherd becomes their, their systematic, not theological systematic, but their systematic of understanding starts to give you a stable stability that you might not have been able to reach in your own youth and wisdom. You say, well, at least there's Solomon. We could all, we could all do Solomon, right? My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Another great verse for a college town. The books keep getting published. People keep publishing books with a different idea of how to fix your children. What was the latest one on the tiger mom or something like that? Or all sorts of different theories. Of the making of many books, beware of anything beyond these. The sayings of the wise and the collected sayings given by one shepherd. I don't know, I imagine Solomon's talking about himself. I don't doubt that. I mean, he spent his time, remember, long before Plato or Aristotle were ever thought about, hundreds of years before, this man was sitting in a palace 
working out a philosophy of life and arranging it artfully. But this beware. In our Christian lives, I have a few verses here on the side. One is out of Romans 1. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Because there's no, there's no place... If I don't go for wisdom, I don't just get to decide to go nowhere. I become a fool. Because if I don't pursue God, it says in Romans 1, that because they did not honor, honor God or give him thanks, he gave them up to the futility of their minds. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So if you don't go the right direction, you will go the wrong direction. Not you just will float in the middle area. So beware. If I don't find the collected sayings of one shepherd, if I don't find the sayings of the wise, I will find the sayings of the fools. If I'm not following an idea that's foolish, I will be following my own passions, but I will be, I will be led astray. Colossians 2. I say this in order that no one may delude you with beguiling speech. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. As therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one makes prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. There's a, I preached out of that a couple weeks ago. The, the idea here for we as Christians, we're living in accordance with Christ. Less so Solomon, more in accord with Christ. One shepherd stabilizing you. This is the firmness that we have in Christ. And not to be led astray, beware of other things besides these. James 3, who is wise and understanding among you by his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's a great definition for wisdom because if you're looking for the wise sayings, if you're looking for the one shepherd, you want to be not finding someone who is some, you know, um, uh, intellectual takedown artist. He's someone who's representing pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, because the jealousy and selfish ambition, the infightings in the philosophical world, they're just proving they're not wise. We know where is wise. We, we, need, to be, we need to know where our shepherd is, what we're supposed to be bewaring of. Is that a word, bewaring? No. What we ought to beware of. The end of the matter. All has been heard. One red thing. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, some people think that because they always doubt what the scriptures suggest that they are, and they always say, well, I think that their later commentator added that last bit because he was a little disappointed in Solomon's or whoever's uh, rather... Uh, dark assessment of life. Well, no, they, they, you've, you've seen this through the whole book. You've seen this standing before God as a measure of how you get wisdom, knowledge, and joy, right? So if I fear God and keep his commandments, what happens? I please him, right? He is pleased when I fear him and keep his commandments. And if I please him, he gives me wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And then I am to do what there is nothing better for me to do, which is enjoy life. For, ev for, every, for God will bring every deed into judgment. It goes back to the whole I idea I mentioned earlier. Ethics is judgment. It equals judgment. Solomon did not have 
a cosmology that understood an eternal judgment. He had a Hades, he had a, a Sheol, a place of the dead, uh, but he knew there had to be a judgment. Just the presence of good and evil. I was reading up on Buddhism because I was talking to these Buddhists and uh, reading more on uh, reincarnation. And they got to have it because they got an ethical system. But you got to have some kind of, it's a godless uh, uh, system of that sort of mindlessly puts you into the next life lower or higher depending on how you did. You know? And you work your way up to Buddha, to being a Buddha and a bodhisattva or something like that. Um, but they have to have a judgment after this life. You got to, for anything to be good or bad. And even Solomon at 1000 BC knows that. There's this anticipation that Christianity, when it comes, reads this book as a, you might say, the, the guide to living. It is a guide to this world up to death. We have a lot more strength in Christ because we have actual forgiveness. We have actual knowledge of the promises. We have all sorts of hope attached to it. But the nature of the world remains unchanged. The nature of the world is just a little bit brightly lit by the coming of Christ. Well, that is the end of Ecclesiastes. It is four minutes after. I exceeded by one minute. Let's be grateful. Dear Lord, we're thankful for all the good you let go by us that we get to touch and enjoy. We trust that we will stand before you ready to offer what lives we have in this now for your approval for your guidance, for your wisdom, that we could enjoy it, living life fully in front of you. In your son's name, amen.